A couple of weeks ago, Zoe Kravitz, the daughter of actress Lise Bonet and musician Lenny Kravitz, posted two pictures on Instagram. One picture was of her posing on the red carpet of the 2022 Academy Awards, or commonly referred to as the Oscars. And the other picture was from later in the day of her on the red carpet, well, literally, the blue carpet of the Vanity Fair Oscars party. Zoe Kravitz is an actress like her mom, and she recently played Catwoman in the latest Batman movie with Robert Pattinson. The caption of both pictures read, Here's a picture of my dress at the awards show where we are apparently assaulting people on stage now. The caption was actually the most interesting part about these two photos, but not long after she uploaded the opinion that nobody asked for on Instagram, people got to digging into their pocketbook for receipts. They dug up stuff about her father's previous relationships, Zoe's friendship with Jaden Smith, but the one thing a lot of people are already aware of is her friendship with a man who designed her wedding dress, Alexander Wang. Welcome to Most Fashionable Crime, a fashion-related true crime podcast hosted by me, Taryn. Each season has a theme, and the theme of this season is house. If you want to be on trend, make sure to sign up for the newsletter, subscribe to the YouTube channel, and follow the podcast on Twitter at Most Fashionable, and Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at Most Fashionable Crime. There's also a discussion group on Facebook and a Reddit community, which are both linked in the notes. Thank you so much to the supporters of this podcast, and if you want to support too, there's a link in the notes. You can support Most Fashionable Crime Free by sharing this podcast, leaving it a five-star rating or a review if you're listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, subscribing to the podcast wherever you listen, subscribing to the YouTube channel, and listening and engaging with Most Fashionable Crime on social media. While you're listening right now, let everyone know that you are by sharing it to your Instagram or Facebook story. Alexander Wang was born on December 26, 1983 in San Francisco, California to parents who immigrated from Taiwan in 1973. In case you're wondering, he is of no relation to Vera Wang. Wang was enrolled in various private and boarding schools from elementary school through high school. While still in high school, he did a summer program at Central St. Martin's in London, England for design. He designed 33 evening dresses or gowns for a collection while enrolled in the program. He was just 15 years old at the time, and I'm sure this really solidified his desire to pursue a career in fashion. CSM's fashion program is very well known and regarded as one of the best in the world. Among the alumni is one of the greatest designers of all time, Lee McQueen of Alexander McQueen. Other designers include Sarah Burton, who is currently the creative director of Alexander McQueen, and she also designed Kate Middleton's wedding dress. There's also Ricardo Tishi, the chief creative officer of Burberry. Stella McCartney, daughter of Sir Paul McCartney and head of her own namesake fashion house. Stella designed Meghan Markle's wedding reception dress. There's also Zach Posen, who unfortunately closed down his design houses, and he designed Princess Eugenie's wedding reception dress. Wayne didn't go to college at Central St. Martin's. He chose to stay in the United States and attended Parsons School of Design located in New York City. Parsons is another fashion studies powerhouse, boasting a nice list of alumni as well. There's Jason Wu, who designed dresses for Michelle Obama for the first and second inaugurations of her husband, the former president Barack Obama. Jason Wu is currently the art director for Hugo Boss. Tom Ford also went to Parsons. He's the former creative director of Gucci and is currently at the helm of his own fashion company. Anna Sweet, a well-awarded and innovative designer who happens to have her work on exhibit at the Mint Museum in Charlotte, North Carolina, until May 1st if you are nearby and want to check it out. 
Other notable alumni you might recognize the names of include Mark Jacobs and Donna Karen. Like plenty of others, Wayne's time at Parsons was short-lived, but he seemed to have accomplished a lot in that short amount of time. He interned for both Vogue and Team Vogue. He also completed internships for fellow Parsons alum Derek Lamb and Mark Jacobs. After two years, he dropped out. He dropped out in December 2004 to start his own fashion label, and the initial collection consisted of six knitwear pieces. A 20-year-old embarking on their own business venture isn't exactly common, and you may wonder where he drew support from. According to LinkedIn, Alexander's brother, Dennis, co-founded the company and came on as the chief principal officer. Another source has his initial title listed as chief financial advisor. Dennis's wife, Amy, was made the chief executive officer and Wayne's mother, Yin, was appointed chairman. I can't tell if she was the chairman of the company at the start of it, but at some point she was definitely the chairman of Alexander Wang, the company. The Wang family was also able to make use of their connections in China to produce the garments. After this break, I will tell you about how the label became a household name. In 2007, the fashion label had become greater. The label became a full-fledged women's ready-to-wear line by the spring of 2007, and Wang presented Alexander Wang at New York Fashion Week for the first time, presenting for the autumn and winter seasons. 28 looks were showcased, and you can see the remnants of Alexander Wang's beginnings with knitwear as well as foreshadowing of Wang's tendency to use black fabrics in the future. In 2008, he expanded the label to include a handbag collection. This was all a pretty big deal, especially for someone who was only 23 years old at the time. Anna the Bob Wintour took notice. Just in case you don't know who Anna Wintour is, she's who Miranda Priestley, played by Meryl Streep and The Devil Wears Prada, is loosely based off of. She's the longtime editor-in-chief of Vogue. This is year 34 to be exact. Needless to say, she has a huge influence on the fashion industry as a whole, but she is known to influence designers and fashion houses directly. I refer to her as the Bob since she's been wearing her Bane Bob since, according to some reports, 14 or 15 years old. She's currently 72 years old. You can also find her wearing big dark sunglasses. Basically, Anna Wintour has the power to make or break someone in the fashion industry, and she chose to make Alexander Wang. In 2008, Wang received the Council of Fashion Designers of America, commonly known as CFDA, and Vogue Fashion Fund. I pulled this blurb straight from the CFDA website. It reads, The CFDA and Vogue Fashion Fund was established after 9-11 to help emerging designers and cultivate the next generation of American fashion talent. Wang received the highest award, and with that came $200,000 in a year of mentorship. This would not be his last award and he would continue to expand his label. He became a member of the CFDA in 2009. In 2011, he ventured into men's ready-to-wear and he was declared the best menswear designer by GQ. That same year, he won the CFDA award for best accessory designer. A huge opportunity was presented to Wang the following year in 2012 and he took it. He was named creative director of an established French fashion house by the name of Balenciaga. To be called to head an established house is a huge honor, especially for an independent designer. This didn't stop Alexander Wang from being produced. A good many designers have headed a house while still designing or creative directing their own label. Take for instance, Karl Lagerfeld and Chanel. 
This partnership didn't last long. It ended in 2015. Balenciaga's financial numbers were good, but the rumor was Wang was fishing for backers for his own label and also having issues with balancing the duties and responsibilities of being the head creative of both brands. By 2016, Wang had replaced his sister-in-law and mother as CEO and chairman, respectively, of Alexander Wang. Amy and Yin both remained shareholders and board members. The entire family wasn't gone. Wang's brother stayed on as an advisor and his aunt joined as the executive vice chairman. I don't know what the reason for this restructuring was, but maybe Wang's mother and sister-in-law wanted to step down, but I also think this may have just been a better look for the company if they were seeking out investors. When reading interviews and articles about Wang, you'll see that a lot of journalists note how he brought a fresh, young, and California ease to his designs. Another thing a lot of people took note of, including myself, was that Alexander Wang and Wang himself made great use of social media. Not to be confused with the Vera Wang gang, Alexander Wang had a squad that was popular around the mid-2010s. This squad would be a changing cycle made up of models, influencers, and celebrities such as Bella Hadid, Kylie Jenner, Kendall Jenner, Tyga, Travis Scott, Vince Walton, Kaya Gerber, and Zoe Kravitz. Not only did Alexander Wang use social media to influence consumers, the company used it to interact with them as well. For the label's 10th anniversary, it used Twitter to allow people to vote on which design should be reissued, which is pretty cool. This would not be most fashionable crime without some sort of crime or scandal. The first one came about in 2012, almost exactly one year after Alexander Wang opened their first flagship store in Soho, Lower Manhattan, New York on February 17, 2011. After an employee named Winnie Liu was fired from the Wang factory on February 16, 2012, a $50 million class action lawsuit was filed alleging that Wang and his brother Dennis violated New York State labor laws. Liu claimed they were fired after complaining about the working conditions and finally a workers' compensation claim. Liu also claimed they were hospitalized after working 25 hours with no break and as a result became unconscious in what was referred to as a sweatshop in Chinatown. According to additional claims made by Liu, the factory was 200 square feet, poorly ventilated, and windowless. Workers were made to work 16 or more hours a day with no breaks and without receiving overtime payments. Another employee, Flora Duante, also made claims that she was fired after filing for workers' compensation too, and that she worked 90 hours a week in the factory. I can't speak for the Wang factory, but I do know that some of the apparel manufacturing companies I've seen in New York City were busy, but they had windows and ventilation, and I can't speak for the Wang factory. One incident Lou described was being tormented by Wayne's brother Dennis while constructing a leather pant from start to finish. Lou alleged that Dennis wanted the pants to be completed in four hours, whereas the task would typically take 12 hours. That's a huge jump and sewing leather is tricky. I'm assuming that if this is true, they must have wanted the pants to be presented on the runway for a photo shoot or a big deal client requested it. The lawsuit was left open by the Queen's Supreme Court and 29 additional former employees joined as plaintiffs. The 31 plaintiffs sought out $50 million for each charge file, which was nine total, coming to the large amount of $450 million. Wang and the company denied all allegations. Six months later, on August 14, 2012, the charges were dismissed with prejudice, meaning the plaintiffs would not be able to file again. 
A statement was made by a company spokesperson reiterating that the allegations were all false. However, there were reports that both sides agreed to a settlement. The settlement terms were not disclosed. Now I'm going to talk about the net scandal. I will be mentioning stories about sexual assault, so if that is something that will make you uncomfortable, please feel free to bow out. How the story broke is pretty interesting, but not uncommon. On December 29, 2020, a fashion industry watchdog account called Diet Prada and a modeling industry watchdog account called Shit Model Management published to their feeds the collected social media posts across Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok of users alleging that Wang sexually assaulted them. Like I mentioned, it's not uncommon for stories of this nature to break via social media, and I've seen posts where people thought this might not have been the best route for the accusers to take. By the reason why I think they thought this might have been their best option, I'm not 100% sure, but I will explain later. Wang has a well-known reputation for being a partier. He's known for his after-show parties, birthday parties, and he even showcases his love of parties with his designs, such as the Wangover and party animal headbands. Keep in mind that heavily partying or enjoying a party often does not mean that you are someone that will be accused of abusing other people, and it doesn't mean that you are someone that abuses other people. This began with a model named Owen Mooney. He brought his story to TikTok. In his story, he claimed that Wayne groped him in 2017 in a New York City nightclub. The Instagram account Shit Model Management reshared Mooney's claims and this led to a domino effect of other people coming forward. A DJ in New York named Nick Ward also had a very similar story to Mooney and Ward claimed that he too was groped in a nightclub in Brooklyn, New York. Keaton Bullen, a student at Parsons in 2019, also claimed he was sexually assaulted by Wang. This claim is more graphic. Bullen claims that Wang unzipped his pants and grabbed his private parts. Another DJ, this one by the name of Gia Garrison, who also appears to be a model and actress too, made claims of her experience with a fashion designer. She claims that when she was in a Manhattan nightclub in February 2017, Wang pulled her bottoms down, exposing her private parts. Gia is a trans woman and she felt especially humiliated and violated as someone who was growing to love her body. There are more claims made similar to the three I just told you. There are also claims by accuser that Wang had drugged them. Of course, Wang denied all of these accusations. Lisa Bloom, an attorney known for representing people who have made sexual harassment claims, represented 11 of Wang's accusers as of January 2021. It was reported by Bloom in March of that same year that Wang had met with and apologized to the 11 accusers she represented. She also said the accusers acknowledged the apology and were moving forward, but did not comment as to whether or not a financial settlement had been made. Following this, Wang posted a statement to his personal Instagram saying he supported their right to come forward, he disagreed with some of their details, and he would do better. That is what is left of that story. I haven't heard anything new, but I do suspect there was a financial settlement. Seeing the fact that some of the accusers were trans models or working in the creative industries, I can see why they didn't want to go to a huge publication or any major publication at all to tell their story. I'm sure they didn't want to get blackballed and people have connections that run deep. The YouTube video for this week will be uploaded by Wednesday or Thursday. I will be talking about celebrities and their lack of calling out their friends for their misdoings and why I think that is. Let me know what you thought of this episode on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. 
Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Most Fashionable Crime. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast, subscribe to the YouTube channel, download episodes, and leave a five-star rating if you're listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. All of my sources are linked in the notes. In case you're wondering, this podcast was written, recorded, produced, and edited by me, Taryn. All the music you heard in this episode is from Epidemic Sound.